Welcome back to the Zach Clay Show. This is episode three, and a little late on this one. I was trying to uh, trying to get these out in a more timely fashion. My aim is to try to get them out on Mondays. Of course, that's not always going to be possible. Uh, my time management sucks, so I am definitely trying to work on that. I'm also trying to have less uhs and ums in this episode. Last episode is pretty bad. So if there are little silent spots, it's because I'm trying to process without those little uh, vocal uh, tricks. And there were two for you for free. So like I said, my time management skills are sucking. Uh, I've really tried to work on that, especially working for projects for myself. The problem is when you're trying to get something off the ground, there's no incentive there, no monetary incentive, I should say, to uh, to work towards those. So I am trying to incentivize myself uh, just by the little bit of feedback I've gotten. And it, it is good. If you told me a good show or that you enjoyed it, I appreciate that. And if you are listening to it, let me know because most people who are listening to this should know me, If especially if you don't know me, let me know. So I am working on my time management. Uh, I think that social media has kind of short-circuited my uh, my ability to delay gratification. So what I mean by that is before Friendster, MySpace, Facebook, and everything we have now, there was no uh, distraction, especially now that you have a smartphone, it's in your hand, and I think that there's something to be said with the uh, the motion of your thumb, right? Swiping uh, on your phone for the novelty of new information. So there is uh, like a Pavlov's response to pulling out your phone and getting novelty. I have the Reddit app on my phone and uh, just pulling that out, bam, and you can scroll forever and watch GIFs of people getting hurt or uh, all of your subreddits that you're subscribed to. And so it's a really bad habit for me. I try not to do it when I'm around people. Uh, I've heard that even putting your phone on the table is a is a bad thing to do because it's there. You can see it. So I'm trying to keep it in my pocket. Not signal to other people that they're secondary to my phone because there, there's a little bit of um, mental slavery, it feels like, to that. If you get texts or calls, I understand answering those, but I check my phone whenever a news alert goes off or whenever a Reddit alert goes. Uh, those are the two big alerts I have on there. I don't have uh, Facebook on my phone, mainly because it's a huge file on iPhone for some reason. Um, but I've really been trying to steer clear of that, both on my phone and on my uh, PC at home. So uh, some of the things I'm trying to do is to reroute the thought process whenever something like that happens. So I guess it would be a uh, it would be a kind of a garage cognitive behavioral therapy, right? So whenever I have the urge to pull out my phone and just start scrolling or whenever I have the urge to hop onto Facebook and just start scrolling or Instagram, which talking about Instagram as a side note, 
I really have gotten to where I prefer Instagram because there's so much less negativity. And maybe that's because who I follow or the stuff that I'm into on Instagram, you know, usually I pull it out. <clears throat> Most of my friends don't use it. So I'm following other pages and it'll be the hard times, which is a, um, like indie underground music version of the onion. And if you've ever been a ba- in a band or part of a scene, you find, you'll think the articles are pretty funny, I think. Um, so I have that, or it's like retro toy commercials or <laughs> toys, uh, stuff like that. So maybe I'm just biased because I don't have all of my uh, friends on there who lean to certain extremes politically, or you don't mind posting basically political shit posts on Facebook. So maybe that's, maybe that's the issue. Uh, whenever my friends are using Instagram, they're my real life friends. It's usually something I would find interesting. Um, but back off that tangent. So whenever I get the urge to use one of these social media platforms, be it on my phone or computer, I'm trying to choose long form media. Uh, I have, uh, been trying to consume, if I'm going to watch something, trying to consume movies over TV and especially over YouTube videos, uh, mostly because I've missed a lot of movies because of this short circuiting of my attention span. I just haven't had the attention span to do it. And I pay for these services that have tons of movies on there. So I've been trying to get through backlogs. I watched uh, Ghostbusters for the first time. I have never seen it all the way through. So I enjoyed that. But that's what I'm trying to do. I also uh, have been reading comics, uh, like full arcs, I guess you would call the trade paperback versions of comics. So I've been switching to that. And then I also have tried to make sure books are in my house in strategic locations. And I have this right here. If you're watching the video version, this is the old school Kindle uh, paper e-ink reader, which these are awesome. You barely have to charge them. You can put all sorts of books on there, PDFs, things like that. So I've been uh, reading on that. I have it right next to where I sit whenever I'm relaxing. And instead of picking the remote or the TV uh, or the uh, TV control, what am I talking about? remote is a TV controller or my phone, uh, I'll pick that up instead and start reading. We have Amazon Prime, so there's tons of free books through there. I actually am reading a book called Dungeon Born, which I want to talk about on the show once I'm done with it, but it's a very interesting uh, take on, I guess, I guess the genre would be lit RPG. That is totally something we're going to have a segment on once I'm done with this. But uh, like I said, I'm trying to consume long-form media instead of short stuff. And also, I'm trying to leave my phone on the charger. We have a charging station in my living room, so I just stick my phone on there and try to walk away, which works sometimes. Uh, Most people who try to contact me will contact me through text. And if my phone's not on me, then I have to go over there to answer it. Uh, I've been for... We have a landline, which is another... It's another segment altogether, Uh, but we have a landline and I'll forward my calls to the landline, which usually works. I can pick up the phone uh, and I don't have all the distractions there, right? I just have that crappy monotone or uh, monochrome LCD screen tells me who's calling. Bam, I got it. So uh, I've also been, like I said, trying to interrupt the thought process whenever the 
uh, thought occurs to me to to go into one of those things, just stopping, counting to ten, and choosing something else. So, like I said, it's uh, garage be- cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, self self directed cognitive behavioral therapy. <clears throat> but like I said, I'm I'm working on trying to get this better, trying to get this out every Monday. And uh, if you watch the YouTube channel, I'm trying to have a video every day until they run out for each show, which hopefully means at least Monday through Thursday would be would be on there. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at right now. It's kind of the state of things. So if you are listening, thank you for listening, and we will move on to the next topic. So <clears throat> I've had the urge to write some music. I've had an idea for like a grindy noise uh, music project. And in my mind, it's really a lo-fi thing. And so I thought, what better medium to do this with rather than my expensive computer and (laughs) semi-great recording equipment? uh, Why don't I go back and grab a four-track cassette recorder? So if you don't know what these are, basically it was a plastic cassette deck and it had, it would take a regular stereo cassette tape. And so normally with that tape, when you're running it forward, you have two tracks, right? You have the left and the right channel for your, uh, for your music. And then when you run it the other way, flip the tape over, you have two more channels for your left and your right. So each side of the tape has two sides, two stereo sides. So what a four track recorder would do is make the tape where it only runs one way. So you can't flip it over. If you flip it over, you'll be playing everything backwards. So it takes those two tracks for forward, two tracks for backwards, and makes them all four tracks for going one way. And you can record things on each track. Maybe you have a rhythm track, bass track, guitar track, vocal track, right? That's pretty basic. That's pretty much the basic way demos were made back back in my high school days. And I had one of these. I bought actually bought one in, I believe it was junior high. The problem is I, I don't think I ever used it to its full potential. Whenever I was in bands and things like that, I never really used it as... Um, I, I never really stretched it out uh, to, to do what it could do. Honestly, when I bought it, I was pretty young. I, I don't think I even understood the four-track concept. So it was kind of late on in having that uh, machine that I really started to think about creative ways to use it. And um, by the time that happened, we had access to a digital eight track recorder and we had just moved on to that. And my four track recorder has been lost to time. And I ran into one, uh, I ran into one at a Goodwill and it was 25 bucks. And this was before I had the idea to, to do this project. So I was really debating with myself and I have, I have a problem where I don't want to buy things to clutter my house. I don't want to acquire shit that I'm not going to use. And at the time, I sure as hell was not going to use this four-track recorder. But there it was. It's 25 bucks, maybe 35 bucks. Um, but that's a lot to me to uh, buy something that is just going to go on the pile of 
shit collecting dust in my house. So I passed at the time. And that was, um, I think that was two, three years ago. It was definitely before, before I had my kiddos that I got right now. So when I had this idea, I did what every red-blooded American does and hopped on eBay to check out how much they are going for. And they are legitimately the same price. They were probably a hundred bucks back in the day. You could probably get them on sale for a hundred bucks, maybe one twenty. I'm pretty sure I paid a hundred dollars for mine. And now they are on eBay for literally a hundred bucks. And that's the bottom of the barrel cassette four tracks. Uh, I did a um, inflation calculator. So if you bought one at a hundred dollars in uh, two thousand, I guess at mine, mine I bought in ninety nine. So if you bought one for a hundred bucks in ninety nine. That $100 is $151.25 with inflation. So I guess you're still paying less because of inflation, but not really. And I, I know that when, sorry, I knocked on wood for some reason during this, <laughs> during this show. Uh, I know that when I saw that at, Good, at Goodwill, I had buyer's remorse. And it wasn't there the next time I went. And so I was pricing them on eBay and they were going for maybe 40 bucks. You know, you got an okay deal at, at Goodwill. And if you really just wanted one, 40 bucks. So the problem I have with um, buying one is 100 bucks for a damn cassette four track. I, I don't, I can't do it. And this goes hand in hand with the rise in media nostalgia that has come up. So if you're not aware, I'm sure most most people are aware that vinyl is back, right? Vinyl is available. Vinyl is available for purchase at major retailers now. Uh, I was just at Barnes & Noble yesterday. They have a vinyl section there. Um, of course, none of it is the original recordings, and I'm... It's the the vinyl I've I've had of re-releases does not sound as warm as the old stuff, but there is a giant market for all things vinyl. And with that, the worm has started to turn, and cassettes are back, right? So you'll see a lot of bands will put out cassettes. I think the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack was put out on cassette. Uh, there is a market for it. And there is a certain sound to cassettes. They sound different. Analog sounds warm. It's it. I don't know how to describe it. I could use my uh, audio setup as meager as it might be to make a lo-fi grind album, but it will not sound the same as a cassette. Um, my brother bought cassettes through the turn of the millennium and he was just going to throw his cassettes out. I wound up taking them and finding good homes for them through eBay because there is a ton of uh, people out there who who like the way it sounds. And I heard it described as cassettes have a, they get a patina to them. They get a sound over time and over plays. Uh, that I don't, Vinyl doesn't seem to, to get the same thing. Vinyl is warm, but there's something... I, I guess it'd be just kind of a worn-in sound that you get with a well-played tape. And that's the sound that I want for this Grind album, but I, I can't I can't invest $100. I can't invest $100 for it. 
Um, so, so if you have a four track recorder and you want to donate it to a good cause, uh, just let me know. Okay. Moving on. The next thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, calculating infinity, the Dillinger escape plan album. Uh, it's an absolute perfect album in my opinion. So I was wanting to talk about music. Unfortunately, the majority of my music taste has been arrested to about 2005 and before and really the uh, bulk of what I've been I guess rediscovering would be from 2005 to from like I guess 99 to 2005 kind of the hardcore I guess emo screamo scene uh, math metal things that things that I was into then um, the like in the previous topic the nostalgia worm has definitely turned for me and I'm trying really hard to find new music, and it's out there, but there is a certain, uh, I, it, it's it's nostalgia. It's nostalgia that draws me to this old music. That, that, there's no mistaking that. So Calculating Infinity, if you have not heard it, <clears throat> and you like extreme music, extreme, I, I, it's hard to call this a, a metal album or even a hardcore album. It's it's math metal, I guess is what you consider it. I I don't necessarily think of uh, Dillinger Escape Plan as a metal band, but they're definitely hard. Um, they're very mathy. So uh, this was their, the first full length of theirs I had heard. Uh, they had another one before, which is an awesome album, but this is definitely peak Dillinger Escape Plan on Calculating Infinity. So this is the first time I had heard Dillinger Escape Plan. I was in my friend's bedroom. And I think he had downloaded the uh, their first single from their first EP off of Audio Galaxy, uh, which was I, I guess a Napster competitor. I, I we preferred it to Napster, uh, but it was the Mullet Burden. So if you've never heard heard the Mullet Burden, I'd say check it out. It's like a two minute song, and it just absolutely blew my mind. I had never heard anything like this ever. So we hear this we are just totally enraptured there it's a album where just it sounds insane the guitars are running everywhere or excuse me the song the guitars are running everywhere the uh uh the the uh, circus song i guess the the song that everyone uh, thinks of when they think of circus music is just in a random run in there like as if it's just a jazz song callback um, it is so chaotic but the more you listen to it the more you start to hear the methods to their madness the more you start to hear the patterns and hear stuff comes out come out and that is really what you get whenever you listen to calculating infinity the first thing you hear whenever you put that album on is the uh, just like sh guitar shred for like two seconds and you're right into this weird tempo and just someone screaming. It's not a metal scream. It's not, uh, uh, it I doesn't sound stylized to me though. I'm sure it is. It just sounds like someone screaming over insanity. Um, so you go from that to uh, 43% burnt, which just has this kind of groove that it starts off with. And 
even though it's a groove, it's still in a weird time signature. It's just, there's something about it that you can still feel the rhythm, but it gets jarred and you feel it. You can feel it, the uh, weird time signature kind of jarring you. And it goes, starts with that and just goes into insanity. And then bam, there's a clean section. And the clean section sounds just as technical, just as complicated, just as math metally with strange time signatures as the distorted parts just as interesting then you go on to uh, under the running board it has the same thing it goes into this clean section that goes into this the clean part builds up to this I guess you call it a mathy kind of breakdown it's very same thing it, it, there's a groove to it you can hear it you can hear the rhythm but it's not what you're used to. It's not 4-4. Four, four. It's not 3-4. It's not 2-4. It's like... It's hard to describe. Um, the thing about this is when I got the, when I first got this album and I was listening to it, it came at a time in my life when I was getting... When I was in orchestra in high school and we had uh, played uh, Bringer of War, Mars, by Holst. Right. So if you know this, uh, if you know this song or I guess it's part of a symphony, if you know this movement of this symphony, uh, you know uh, that it has a five, four time signature. Right. So that's a main groove. That's the main motif of bringer of war. And then it has a melody that goes over that. If you don't if you don't think you know it you probably do it's been used in car commercials it's been around for a long time do yourself a favor it's like a five minute movement maybe it is awesome but you have this this five four time which is just as jarring as this Dillinger Escape Plan album so those two kind of got correlated in my mind um, you can feel feel how a time signature affects you um, it really like I said it's a perfect album. Uh, I can sit there and listen to it. The, uh, you know, start to finish, it's like 40 minutes long, so it's not a long listen. I remember going to sleep to it in high school, putting it on my stereo, um, and it's awesome. You know, there's, I'm pretty sure if you look on YouTube, you will find full album plays. Spotify definitely has it. It is it is one of my most formative albums. So it has informed my taste in music. It's informed my knowledge of music. Every time I listen to it, I can hear just something new, something that something it's just tiny, tiny details by the guitarist, maybe a tiny riff that is so far mixed down that you have to really listen to hear it. Um, I know one, one, example of that on Calculating Infinity is in Destro's Secret where there is a weird melody going on but it's super low um, and it's not as distorted it kind of sounds twangy and it's right before you go into a uh, kind of breakdown part so Calculating Infinity 10 out of 10 awesome album if you haven't heard it and you like extreme music and this is very extreme maybe a hard listen if you're not into uh, something like that. Uh, but if you do like that kind of music, check it out. 
Okay, moving on. I recently finished reading Ready Player One and immediately watched the movie. And so I went into the movie with super low expectations. I have uh, a friend and my brother who have, who read the book before they saw the movie, really loved the book, super hated the movie. So I was going into watching this expecting just a total turd. I thought I would hate it. And honestly, I was setting myself up for that. Uh, there's stuff that is in the book that I think uh, totally made the story um, relatable to me. Uh, that I, I just, it's missing. That being said, I like the movie. It was nowhere near as good as the book. If someone tells you Ready Player One, the movie, is better than the book, they are objectively wrong, okay? <laughs> there is no disputing that. Uh, and I just want to say, the uh, I understand that things were were different for uh, the movie because the medium is different. I don't think that they, unless it was a series or a trilogy of movies, I don't think they could have done justice to Ready Player One, in all honesty. Um, it's just, there is so much detail in the book. There is so, mu- so many things that show up. One of the, the major things is the... So I'm, I'm about to spoil the hell out of both of these. If you have not seen them, please stop. Uh, if you have seen one and not the other, I don't think I'm going to, it's going to be that jarring. Uh, if you have seen the movie, you should still read the book because they, they're almost completely different stories. So that being said, you have been warned. The challenges are different in the book and in the movie and I'm talking completely different in the book you uh, to find the Easter egg you have to first get the key to go in the gate for the challenge so there's for each part there's a twofold challenge right Uh, in the movie you're just trying to get the keys so the first challenge uh, in the movie is a race and which I guess is okay the race scene I thought was really cool very uh, reminiscent of lots of callbacks to movies right so it's directed by Steven Spielberg you have a T-Rex chasing the cars a la Jurassic Park uh, which honestly I'm, I thought it was awesome I thought the I thought the scenes were awesome uh, I thought it was cool looking but the book just did it better. Uh, the book, the first trial is to get the key. You have to go through the Tomb of Horrors from D&D, the old school uh, module. If you've ever played the Tomb of Horrors, you know that it's an absolute bastard. Uh, and stuff shows up in the book that you remember from playing that. And at the end, there's a lich there, and you have to beat him in a game of joust. Uh, I, I thought that was it, was it was awesome in the book. And if you lose, he's going to kick your ass unless you can beat him, right? So I, I think that 
for the most part, the challenges are better. That was, that was my favorite one. The, the first quest to get the key was awesome. The other ones in the book are, are great too, but the one that stuck out to me from the movie, the best one from the movie would be the shining where they all have to go into a recreation of the shining to find a key. And this one was, uh, we were watching it with the kids. We had to pause and cover eyes and, and fast forward because it was definitely not for kids. Uh, but I thought it was great the way they have all these callbacks. And so you're talking about people in the 20, the mid 2040s. And so they're going through this movie from was the late seventies for the shining. And there's all these things that you see the elevator of blood, the twins, the, uh, uh, woman in the bathtub. And of course the character going through all, all that stuff is, uh, H would, who, hadn't seen the shining. So is, I thought it was a really fun take on that. And that would be something fun that if it showed up in a, uh, in a video game, uh, that would be awesome. I, one thing that I think they missed out on that, uh, that I think a cool reference would be to is the impossible, um, layout of, of the overlook. Um, and I'm not even going to go into this, but I know that this, there's a, there's a, I, I hate, it's hard to call it a documentary. It's a YouTube video of someone talking about trying to make a Duke Nukem uh, Overwatch map, or excuse me, uh, Overlook map. And he's laying out the Overlook and the layout's not working. Uh, so it's kind of a, an impossible layout, which once you have that pointed out, and you're, it's in the back of your mind, it, it adds to the movie. And so maybe if that kind of was added into the uh, the second key quest in the ready player one movie that would have been cool the other thing about the book and the movie that is was different is there's the book there is this definite influence of mmos um and it's it's missing in in the in the movie you hear there t- the characters talk about uh parzival in particular talks about getting a ride so he can go kill kobolds for to level his character up uh, you have to team up team up to do challenges for artifacts in the book whereas in the movie it's like go to planet doom and shoot everybody in a planet-wide death match for artifacts i guess um, artifacts were just not as well used in the movie as they are in the book there's just the references. I understand the references had to be changed for the, uh, I, if, if I, okay, let me back up here. If I'm a movie studio, movie producer, uh, and you're wanting to shoot a movie where we talk about this nerd shit and MMO shit and things like that, I, I would I understand thinking that the audience might get lost. Even in the book, there's a lot of description of every reference, and I, I can say it did get a little tedious at times. But I'm I'm sure you could truncate that in a visual medium, but it, it would be impossible. 
there's a lot of visual stuff that's in the movie that's not in the in the book which i thought was fun one of the grenades that's thrown in the movie is a mad ball so i thought that was a that was pretty fun to see but the references both of these are pop culture reference uh jack off powwows right you sit around and um you are just talking about the things that made you you right ernest klein is i have a hard time believing that ernest klein is not halliday ernest klein the the writer of the novel and he's also wrote the screenplay right so i I would say that the references in the in the screenplay are are his they are based on him but they're just there's just not as much detail there's no text adventure crap uh there's no uh the rpg elements are just kind of stripped out um it is definitely a better experience reading the book that being said i thought the movie was okay it's a popcorn flip it is not um it's not a bad movie it's not a great movie it's not a uh, pulp fiction it's not citizen kane it's not uh, Casablanca, it is a C-plus popcorn flick. So that's where I would leave it. I think that it's worth a watch. It was definitely not worth the cost of a movie ticket. And I would almost say it's not worth... If we were back in the blockbuster days, it wouldn't be worth a new release blockbuster rental. Now that we're in the red box days, I'll give you one day. You better be sure you're watching that movie because if, if you are not returning that within 24 hours, it is not worth the extra day charge. So that is my thoughts on Ready Player One. I have one more segment for you. Also Ready Player One um, influenced. So this may be kind of a quick one, but when I'm when I was reading Ready Player One, or uh, mostly when I was reading it, not not as much when I was watching it, but mostly reading it, I was thinking this would be an awesome role playing game. And so, the world that's created in here, the you can do anything, you can go to all these worlds where this is a magic world, this is a tech world, this is a PvP planet, this is a PVE planet. I thought all oh, that's great. All these are fun rules that you could put in. And I was trying to think what systems would I use if I was going to run an Oasis role-playing game, right? So first one that came to my mind would be Rifts. If you don't know what Rifts is, it is someone's bastardized D&D second ed um, house rules uh, that they turned into the craziest old school role-playing game. Uh, So it you have these weird steroided out mech guys named glitter boys. And then you have, you could be a hobo. Uh, there's like 30 classes and they all have weird power variants and some are just objectively better than others. Uh, they recently put out a riffs, um, savage worlds companion. So if you want to play it with that rule set, you could, but I think riffs, has so much out there that you could cobble together any planet you wanted based on 
the information that's already there. Or if you want to just set a Rift's planet in your oasis, I guess you could do that too. Uh, Savage World is another one that comes to mind. Uh, Savage World is a kind of generic, um, kind of a generic role-playing system. So it's hard to call it generic, but it can be used for a lot of different genres. Savage World itself has its own flavor. It's very deadly. Uh, it's very easy to die. Uh, the con it's very easy to pick up. It's made to be very streamlined. Um, it has exploding dice, which is how it makes it really easy to die. So if you roll the highest number on the die, boom, you get to roll again. If you keep rolling a 12 on your D12 as your damage, you're just going to ruin someone's day or have your day ruined if it's the dragon that did that. Did that. So I think Savage Worlds would be a good way to have a backbone, right, to, uh, to a campaign in the Oasis. The last one that I thought of, and I thought this would be the most interesting one is there is a really small meta game by John Wick called The Flux and in fact I'm not sure if it's even available anymore let me double check that yeah The Flux is still available on DriveThruRPG it's three bucks it's only a 16 page document it's not very big but basically The Flux is a game a meta game so it's a way to put in, to play all your games at once, play the same character and the world is changing on them. Uh, the Flux in its original form is I'm a detective in a noir world and then, oh my God, the world has shifted. Now I'm a wizard. Well, I, maybe the world shifts again and I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire, but I'm remembering my past lives and now I can throw a fireball or I can dust for fingerprints or something like that, right? So it's a um, it's a game where I believe the way you played it, and I, I took a really brief glance over it before I started talking about this. So forgive me if I'm wrong, but the idea was to have your character sheet in a binder. Whenever the world shifts, your new character sheet goes on top of that. And I believe the the further back you're referring to your character sheets, the harder the um, reference would be. So if you began as a wizard and then you're a um, detective now, it would be easier to recall something as a wizard. Whereas if you've had five lives, right, and then you're trying to go back to throw a fireball as a wizard. Every time this happens, though, if you are referring back to your old character sheets, the world tries to correct for what's going on and so maybe if you were playing a oasis game where everyone's aware of what's going on and different planets have different character sheets and if you're referring to another character sheet depending on how many pages away that is how when you started earning the levels in that class maybe it's uh the system starts getting corrupted around you the world is trying to correct the error that's going on I think it would be a really interesting way to play in the Oasis. Um, or you could just play the Flux by itself. I, I've wanted to do that. I don't think I have a group right now that would be into it. Uh, it's three bucks. Like I said, it's a metagame. Be a good way to get a lot of uh, different systems in and <laughs> give them a shot. Um, but if you're in the Oasis, <clears throat> I, I think that if you were playing the Oasis, if you take the step back, 
would you need to have a character sheet for your avatar as well as your character in real life? Um, it, that would be another way of using the, the flux as a, uh, as an idea to uh, base a Oasis campaign on is just how you have your avatar and then you have your real world guy. And so if you've ever played a role-playing game, you know about metagaming, you know that you know things that your avatar doesn't. And same thing if you are some guy strapped into a VR visor uh, that is playing playing a game. So those are just kind of my thoughts on role-playing in the Oasis. I'd really like to know if any of you guys are interested in doing that, uh, what your ideas would be. Maybe I'll do a part two to this segment. Uh, but that is it for the Zach Clay Show, episode three. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can talk to me uh, on Twitter at also Zach Clay, uh, or in the comment section below if you're re- if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, also visit my website zachclay.com. Uh, that's where I'll have any updates, uh, past episodes, and the show is also available on iTunes, iTunes now as well as Spotify. I'm sorry, not Spotify, Stitcher. So if you if you use the Apple iTunes, uh, excuse me, the Apple Podcast Store or uh, Stitcher. Subscribe on there if you prefer. And that is it. So until next time, bye con Dios.